So the theme we'll be covering here today is sexual discrimination and the lack of opportunity for young women. I'm interested in finding out how this would have been portrayed in the early 80s, at that time when black professional football players were beginning to make an appearance in the English league, there was another area where tremendous discrimination was taking place, and that was with females playing football. There were no amateurs and very few women playing in the local parks that we knew of. So we have here today Leanne, who will be letting us know what it's like today for female players. So Leanne, why don't you take a few minutes, introduce yourself, and give us a rundown of your history playing football. Hi guys, so yeah, um, my name's Leanne Forker. Um, I've play, been playing um, at the highest level I can since I was seven years old, um, now 33 years old. Still playing now. Um, yeah, started playing at seven. Actually, I was younger than that, just playing on the streets with the guys, because again, there was not opportunities then for girls. It wasn't There wasn't many. And even at school, I was playing with the guys as well in the, in the playground, but um, randomly one... One day I was um, playing with the guys in my street and a guy stopped uh, in his van and asked me if I was playing for a team and I said no. Uh, I think I was just going on eight then and he said that they had just started a team up the road, um, Hillfield, um, Inverkeev and Hillfield Swifts. They're still around now. So I asked me to come along, try out and um, the rest is history. I've been playing ever since then really. Started off playing for Inverkeev and Hillfield Swifts from the age of eight, seven, eight until I was um, 15. And I only purely left there because um, they had no next level for me and then I moved on to women's soccer then women's football sorry <laughs> and started playing at a women's level at 15 for Dunfermline ladies and I stayed with them for a long time until just um, in 2016 I went to Edinburgh University Hutchinson Vale so um, Hutchie Vale was a, has been a long-term club in Edinburgh um, and they migrated with Edinburgh University to try and grow the women's game then and then when I left the only reason I left there was because I moved to Canada and now playing for Oakville Blue Devils in the League One which is the highest level in Canada here as well um, I was playing in the, the Scottish Premiership too back in Scotland which is the highest level there during my time I've grown up as well I was trying out for Scotland I did get into the top 20 of U17s but unfortunately wasn't in the top 16 that got selected to go to Ireland um, but it's still a big achievement for me to make make it in the top 20 at my level uh, at my age um, also was in the elite squad as well the elite squad is where all the elite players train together and help improve the de and develop them to become national players as well so I was involved in that for a couple of years too and then, yeah and I'm still playing now still loving it that's pretty much all I can say just now but yeah you can imagine I've, I've won a lot of leagues a lot of trophies top goal scorer most improved um, I've pretty much had it all played at university as well we won the league at university too when I was captain of Edinburgh Napier University. So yeah, it's been very successful. How did you progress from that kind of level of football to something like Dunfermline? Yeah, so I was actually um, taken on by, uh, because they were local, Dunfermline was very local, it was the next local team. So my background, I've pretty rough childhood. Um, I was with my mum, who was a single parent, and there was four of us. She had no money, no job. And, I'm for, and actually, luckily for me, I, I when I went and tried out for the first team that the gentleman asked me to come and try out for when I was about eight or nine, I was about eight, I was definitely about eight. And I scored, I actually scored a, a hat trick for, for them against Hutchison Vale, which was the last team I played for before I left. And then they asked me to join and I said, I'd have to speak to my mum because mm. it cost money. But they told me I didn't need to pay because they obviously knew my background from other parents, maybe. So I never actually paid to play at all, which was fortunate for me because if I had to, I don't think I would have. 
Um, and then they let me play for Hillfield Swifts and I'm, I'm such a loyal person so for me I just kept playing at Inverkeven until I had to move on which is when I then went to Dunfermline <coughs> Women's obviously they didn't just sign me you had to come along try out at training and stuff so like that. So someone from Dunfermline saw you playing and invited you there for a trial? Yeah. Now is yeah. there something earlier on uh, when you were a kid that you used to be playing football with the boys and someone that actually took notice of you playing? That in our age, or back in the 80s when this book was uh, first, goes back to, that didn't exist. Girls did not play soccer with boys. It was just unheard of. We're talking earlier on about the uh, demarcation between what was deemed as a woman's role and what was deemed as a man's role. Yeah. I remember vividly growing up in school, guys did not play netball, girls did not play football. And that was it. Even outside in the park or on the streets or whatever, girls just did not play these roles. It was, it was one of these uh, societal things that's drummed into your mind over and over and over again till, oh, yeah. until women almost uh, subconsciously believed it was their place in a role, not to even to challenge or not even wanted to play soccer. Yeah. Do you agree, Don? In previous uh, episodes, yeah, and we were talking about how I used to go and watch the Wolves, who were a first division team in those days. And I probably could count on my two hands the amount of women I would see, the amount of female supporters I would see in a 30,000 capacity crowd. And it could be a very dangerous place for young females to go in oh, those yeah. days. So I'm really interested in your story because I helped set up a, a, a charity in the city of Wolverhampton. And it was all about getting young women into sport they'd left school a lot of them were single mothers they lived fairly isolated lives they'd become disenfranchised and lost a lot of confidence so uh, and I, I was saying to Kim that um, we didn't offer them football and they didn't ask for football they asked for yeah. things like netball or uh, sports like that or table tennis or badminton so it was a, a two-way thing they didn't ask and we didn't offer yeah. uh, I'm talking 40 years ago 35 40 years ago so what, what do you think, uh, do you, did you ever speak to any older players as you were growing up to say, well, how did you get started? I mean, what, what helped you break these sort of barriers down? Yeah. Well, for me, like, just from you saying that, because um, I was born in 87, so it was like the early 90s when I started playing. And to be honest, I was like the only girl in the pack of guys, usually. And sometimes yeah. there was this one other girl who was a couple of years younger than me, but it was always just us two out of everyone else. But for me, I was when I joined the women's team and I was 15. The next oldest was like 19. So there was a big age gap. For me, I think it was, they had similar stories to me. They were kicking around the ball with boys in their street that they hang about with. And then I guess, I'm guessing from there, something's progressed where more and more girls must have been seen on the streets. And that's why yeah. teams started to open up. And maybe that's why I got an opportunity at a younger age. But there wasn't many teams at my age when I was eight years old. Because um, I was back 1994, 1995. So I'm, I'm guessing it's it's just stemmed from there, really. Um, I guess maybe someone like yourself, Don, decided to to offer some girls football and yeah. maybe never asked the question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we had discussed there was, and I think it was set in Scotland, a film called uh, Gregory's Girl. Yeah, as yeah. About, yeah, and. Of course, at that time, uh, it was seen as a comedic that you have a girl wanted to play football. I, I don't want to disparage the film in any way. I think its intentions were good, but 
the same time, he sets up the comedic premise of girl wants to play soccer with boys. And in that way, you know, that's what carried the film. And even in that way, there was a sort of prejudice because I remember watching the film and laughing about it. And so I was just wondering how difficult then was it for young women to be taken seriously that, you know, this was just you were making a statement about equality or something, but you grow out of it. You weren't going to continue with this for long. It was a passing fad. Did you have any resentment from guys about actually playing football? Oh, yeah. No, um, I always kind of wished when I was growing up that I could have the opportunity like guys to play and get paid. But for me, I feel like that was never an option. I had to go to university and make sure I made a life for myself. And that was my priority. Uh, Well, that had to be my priority. But for me, I would rather have just played football and got paid for it. So I do do kind of resent it a little bit. But As a charity, we relied on funding sometimes from the councils. And they were always very interested in getting young men off the streets, as they used to call it, because they saw them as the societal threat. They were the ones who were going to get involved in violence or rioting or whatever. And you could get lots of funding for for that sort of thing. But trying to get funding for females doing sport, there was a, a kind of attitude, well... Why would they want to get involved in sport, particularly if they're single mothers? Uh, shouldn't they, you be showing them about childcare or something like that or something along those lines? And um, I just found the prejudice amongst the administrators of the funding or sports clubs. They were always there because basically, if you look at um, young men playing football, and this is a, a thing that's been has been researched upon for over many years. This thing about retaining our juvenile aspects of our character to keep us playing. Yeah. And yeah. there was a kind of uh, an idea. Well, girls go quicker. Females mature earlier than men. So you won't continue to want to knock a ball around the place because of this attitude that men had that women would want to do. You'll want to settle down. You'll want to you know do these homemaker sort of things rather than that. So I was just wondering. How much of that sort of sexism did you encounter? It wasn't a kind of a hostile thing, but almost a kind of patronising thing, if you know what I mean, this sort of underlying sort of sexism. Yeah. That you weren't really serious about it. I think I could I can remember it back as early as um, finishing primary school and starting high school. It was almost like it was, there was only very few teachers that would support what you were doing, but other teachers were just kind of like, it's not really important sort of thing. But, you yeah. know, like, because yeah. when I started training for the elite squad, it was on a Friday night and it was far away and I had to get a bus there. It was, so I had to leave school early. So my maths teacher, he was a big football fan. He was, he, he made me feel like I was, I was doing something great. But there was other teachers that didn't. Yeah. So there was a lot you could tell that was kind of like, you shouldn't be wasting your time on this. Like you should be focusing on kind of schoolwork yeah. and what you're going to do next. So yeah, there is there is things you do encounter. And you, I mean, you still encounter it now. Like it's only just starting to be really addressed. I mean, I would say it's, it gets more and more frustrating as you get older as yeah. well, because I love that there's a lot more opportunities now than there ever has been um, for the younger girls. And that's why I now coach too, because I want them to know that they can be whoever they want to be. But yeah, no, I've encountered it all through my life. So yeah. Are women footballers still as put into the role as though you're making a statement? Because like when black footballers came along, suddenly they were making a statement about racial injustice or prejudice. And actually all they wanted to do was play football. They they weren't themselves. And I was just wondering, are women still kind of pushed into that role that somehow that you just playing soccer is making a, a statement about equality rather than just playing a game. No, no, I'm I'm playing it because I'm playing. Like, I love yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not... I, otherwise, I wouldn't have done it so long, yeah. Yeah, but I'm wondering about people, other people's expectations, you know, when they 
you say you're a soccer player. Do they think there's an underlying subtext rather than you in just being good at the sport and enjoying the sport, that you're also making a, a statement about feminism, quality? People will always think that, though, Don. You'd have to ask them what goes inside their own head. Yeah, I, I think mean, parents do say I'm a, I'm a great yeah. role model, so I guess that's maybe yeah. what they mean by that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, what I'm getting at, though, you see, you, you don't get that often with white male footballers. You know what I mean? So sometimes when, say, with Marcus Rashford or other black footballers or Raheem Sterling, who have said, look, we're not spokesmen about racial injustice. We're footballers, but we'll, we'll give our opinion when asked. But they've almost, the media wants you to become this role model, so to speak, you know? And nobody starts off in any game or career thinking that you going to be thrust into this role model situation or a sports yeah. person. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think, I think you just got to look at the American uh, national women's football team. I think they're doing a fantastic job. And to, they're good players. Oh, yeah, fantastic players. I find the women's game, right, way more entertaining to a certain extent. More honest. More honest. That's one of the off things I find about male professional soccer is the uh, acting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. There's some guys that fold over like a cheap suitcase and I'm like, oh my God, get up. That's nothing. <laughs> or they don't even get touched. It's embarrassing. It is. It's yeah. embarrassing. And that's why I like watching the women's game because, I mean, they get some tackles in them and they just stand up and carry on. Like, it's not. Yeah. 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 When you went from your local team to Dunfermline, how difficult was it to kind of go to the different level? Uh, yeah, it was actually because it was a big step. I was the youngest player on the team. So it wasn't just my uh, physical abilities. They were all a lot more mature than me and I felt very uncomfortable and out of place. Like okay. So um, that that took, I would say it took a good f- few months before I started to feel like I was becoming part of the team. I was very young, but I was fast and I was just not nowhere near as experienced as those those ladies. Um, okay. But they made me the player I am now. So um, I just had to believe it myself as well. Yeah, it was just more funny. of a confidence thing. And, and another thing was money again, because my mum didn't have much money. I, I did get a job by then. I had three jobs at this point, so I was able to pay it myself. But um, it was still like nerve wracking. I just remember being very shy and quiet. And I still remember to this day, I was around 18. I was still with the same club. And one of the captains actually said to me, Back when you were 15, Leanne, you wouldn't say boo to a ghost and now we can't shut you up. So that's how much, yeah, that's how much yeah. my confidence had grown. And I was yeah. a player that sat on the bench most of the time and got the last 20 minutes of that. Okay. But I, I still turned up to training every week, didn't miss one session, didn't miss one game. And, and, it, and it became, it got to the point when I got to 18, they started playing me and I got stronger, more confident. And I was still getting stronger and confident as time went on, but I didn't complain. I just got on with it and did it. And uh, and I'm glad I did, and it made me made me a better, a much better person as well. So yeah. Were they all male coaches? Yeah, I I actually my first coach when I was seven till I was fifteen was actually female. Okay. I was very fortunate to have that. That was actually a big help. She actually like I still say this to this day that she was mo- a role model to me. She was like a big sister, and she showed me a whole different side of the world because the area I was growing up in, um, I don't think I'd be where I am today if it wasn't for her. Yeah, she was like a big sister, showed me a different world, showed me that I could go to university, I could play for as long as I want to play. Yeah, so. I wonder how she got into the game because she'd have even more barriers, Diana. In a way, she cleared the path for you a little bit. So I'm just wondering, just you saying that, did she ever hint at the sort of stuff that she would have had to overcome just to 
say, I want to play soccer or football? Or did she keep that to herself and let you get on with it? She kept it to herself and let me get on with it. She was um, she was 17 when she started coaching me. So she was only just uh, right. a little bit older. So she's oh. very young. And she was do she started okay. coaching as well because she was uh, going to university to be a, a PE teacher. So she needed volunteer hours and yeah. that's what got her down. But she did it for longer than she needed to as well. So, yeah. One question that came up in the Irish news last week about the women's Irish uh, international team. And we've got a Dutch coach now. And um, she talked about um, getting equal pay for women who represent Ireland, the same pay as men. And I was absolutely shocked. I took it as red. They would be paid same money so are you still finding these sort of things going on that you're you're still undervalued on a financial level or sponsorship level compared to the current male players oh yeah i feel like the men still get priority and and stuff like that um it's still happening now to this day i think it's now because it's becoming a bit more apparent that men are the sole focus of football at the moment that clubs are now starting to backtrack a little bit mm. starting to try and make it a little bit more fair and that's I, I would say that's only been in this last little bit with this whole equal pay that's happening across the world right now I think the Women's World Cup did a lot to do with it because to be yeah. honest that yeah, was the did. first time I'd actually yeah. watched and got it come across as a male chauvinistic swine but I was just amazed at uh, the skill levels and everything I'd never watched women's soccer before and the the fact is that at an international level, and these these wages are not anywhere close to what a club pays them. Uh, but the the fact that uh, women would not be getting the same appearance money, I think, is still flabbergasting. I feel like that stems back to club as well. I mean, I know I played rugby, not football, but the women never had their own change room. I remember changing on the field. I don't know if you have similar. Um, uh, wow. situation land we always changed on the ch on the field we never had our own water bottles we had to share with the juniors we never even played on the pitch we played in the end zones so Alian, i don't know if that was kind of a similar situation for you as well never being valued because that carries on with you say i had gone on to play rugby at a higher level you still have that mentality right yeah no that that's what i meant by you could tell that men were getting priority they were getting priority on over everything like hospitality and getting the changing rooms with the showers their goals would be put up and ready before the game whereas we would have to get there an hour early to put up our own goals put on our and we'd get wow. the rubbish field as well the the field that's like got a hill or a ditch or yeah um, yeah so we always got the horrible side of yeah the crappy side of it all but um yeah and i mean like again it's still happening to this day i don't know if you saw in the news i think it was in england that i think it's the fa or something is getting fined or something for um, cancelling girls academies before boys during COVID yes so like again and I feel like that could kind of still potentially be happening all around the world so was, yeah I think what people don't realize either, either is that carries on to when you're about to play this sport you had to get there an hour early and so did we to set up the field yourself so now you're tired from that you're focused on getting the field ready instead of on the game whereas the men could go they're already in their mindset they're already ready to go they just walked on and played so even just looking at the two games happening, one already had like a, something oh, holding them back, right? Yeah, yeah. So the inequality is right there, and it still happened today for sure. Yeah, and like you said as well about the World Cup, um, I think the recent one anyway, 
that that was a big lift in the sport, and I think it actually started to open a lot of eyes. And people used to say, "Well, we don't, we don't, we don't show the games because no one would come to them, and no one would pay. You don't get paid because no one would pay to come to your games." I'm like, "Well, you don't actually broadcast us. No. You don't give us the chance to show that we can." Yeah, and then yeah. now you have Man United, Kristen Press, and Tobin Heath selling more Man United tops than any of the Man United players on the men's team right now. So the way it's going just now, well, uh, I don't know if you've seen the WSL just now, the Women's Super League in England. That's phenomenally. Yeah taken off um, yeah. and for that to go the way it is right now and seeing all the fans when there was fans before COVID and just the stadiums yeah. they're playing in now and the fact that they're on TV like imagine yeah. what that's doing for all the younger girls now like yeah. it's amazing yeah, there's lots, of, there's lots yeah. of girls playing football in England yeah, yeah. there's tons tons and they're well, good play- players I mean when I've been to clubs with my son there's always a women's team there yeah, yeah. and that's, that's what's good now nearly almost every club has a, a women's team now yeah, you just got to keep chipping away to break down these social barriers as such. I think hoping they came up to more people to understand. It reminds me of when I went to the uh, to watch the, the women's sevens rugby team games, mm-hmm. the Commonwealth Games in Toronto. I had gone there, right, with my old male stereotype attitude. I was thing. with you there, I remember. You, you, that's right. Yeah, thinking this, can't be very, this ain't going to be very good. But I was totally blown away by the competition and the, and the level of skill, and also that teams from third world countries, right, which would regard as third world countries, the fielding teams as well, which were very good, which shows that women have started to progress in, the, in those countries as well. So they must have a similar movement. I would change what you just said, and that women are now given the opportunity to do that. They weren't given the opportunity before. That's why they couldn't progress. Now that yeah. it's available, they can. Yeah. I was going to bring up the great Martina Navratilova, the tennis player. And she was on Irish radio a few months ago. And she talked about the struggle of women tennis players getting proper recognition because their pay was so poor, even playing in Grand Slams. So they basically went away and founded their own women's tennis association and formed a kind of Grand Prix circuit. And within a few years, uh, the men were asking her, could they kind of join in? And she said the, the, the problem was the administrators of the game were male. Yeah, that's the, the financial backers were male. The people who were running the media were male, uh, whether that be broadcast or print media. And so these were the things that they had to come up against all the time. So it was people's expectations. And of course, there was a kind of dress code at these, um, say, like Wimbledon for women. Uh, and they, they all seemed as though they were going out in vests rather than skirts mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And there was this sort of um, fetishization of women tennis players. You still, you still see today with some of them. Uh, and so that, and this is coming from, a, a, you can see this, these are male projections onto the female players a lot. John, you make a good point there, though, and I don't know if, Leanne, you've ever encountered it, but I know that when I was playing rugby, sometimes the people that were played, because it was all, like, my coaches were always men, it wasn't necessarily that you had the skill to be on the pitch, like the best players, it was the best-looking players at times, or those that flirted the most with the coach. Did you find that as well? Yeah, I heard, not for any of the teams that I played for, but I did hear for the grapevine a few times that players were getting played because they were sleeping with the coach or they were texting them or, yeah. So there was, there was, wow. uh, or they, yeah, that they simply looked better or stuff like that. Yeah, so there was quite a bit of that going on when I was growing up too, yeah. And I know, that, Ralph, you touched on it as well. Um, from a male perspective, when you went to see the, uh, the women play, the sevens, what was it, why did you guys have, why do you still have in your mind at times that women are going to be less than when they play sport? And I don't mean, 
I'm not directly. I didn't have the exposure to it. It wasn't. It was. It was almost non-existent yeah. for me to see women rugby players. So ultimately, that my, you tend to believe all the stereotype, you know, this, which which is which you been. Sorry, carry on. Well, this is interesting because, like, I I'm your daughter, and I played rugby, and I played pretty well. I was always the captain. And I was a fighter, but I always knew, and like being on the pitch or being in the ring fighting, you can feel that people just roll their eyes. Or when I, I can remember vividly being in the ring and when the women started fighting, that was when it was the lunchtime or the intermission. So everybody would go to the washroom or everyone. So we'd still be going. And I can remember people that I knew on my team walking out of the gym. So like, well, they'd walk out to go get their drink or get their snack or whatever, because it, it was the women fighting and that was the break time. Once we've been conditioned over years, right, these social norms are very, very difficult, right, to uh, put aside. Even though when you know they're wrong, they're still, they're still nagging the cons creeps back in. You have to consciously think Absolutely. all the time. Yeah. All the time. This is not yeah. right. Right, another yeah. report. Overcome this way of thinking just to equalise in everything. Makes sense. No, I'm trying to get at. Yeah. And it's interesting as well. And I think Leanne said this, um, and I know from your um, business, Leanne, that you run, you have a lot of girls that look up to you and try to go, but it's almost like there's an added pressure, whereas you, you might well just want to focus on the game. You want to focus on playing football, being the best you can, but now you have this other position of being a role model of people looking at you and saying, well, you're a female, you got to do everything for female and make them look great. You know what I mean? And it's like a job you're given. Now. What do you think yeah. about, how do you feel about that? Well, yeah, there is a sense of truth in that. And uh, obviously I enjoy doing it, but I feel like there's not enough right now. I feel like if I wasn't to do it, I'd be giving female soccer a, dis a disjustice. I don't even know what word to say, but I just feel like there's that, there's that a big lack of women role models in place at the moment that if I wasn't to take the opportunity, it would, I just feel like I would feel bad about it because I feel like people need to see that you can be whoever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. And if I can show them that I can be and that they can be, that, that I'm giving something back, what's made me who I am today. So, yeah. But I feel like the major obstacles kind of being fixed right now, especially with the WSL in England, where they're appointing female managers to female soccer teams. And there's more females being enrolled in other positions as well. Um, I feel like that, I think that's where we need to start is by bringing in these female role models and running teams. Like even, I think the next thing would be getting a female to run a premiership men's team would be a big hurdle. But I think it would be something that would stir up the mix a little bit because we've had men coaching women for most of the time since this whole thing started. And I think to kind of set the tone for all the guys that kind of feel like women can't do it, I think having a female go on and take one of the premiership teams in the English league would make uh, a big impact, but I also think it's a major hurdle, like you said. Um, and I think that's across the board in terms of male soccer all round. I do know Shelley Kerr, who's the head coach um, of Scotland Women's, was actually head coach of a males team in the lower leagues in Scotland before she took took on that role and did a very, very good job with that. So I think for it to really make a big impact, it needs to be something as big as that. Make sure to join our Facebook group, More Than a Game, or perhaps visit our website at www.ralphrob.com. If you have questions or comments, email us at ralph at ralphrob.com. I'm Kimberly Ravando-Rob, and I am signing out. Signing out. Signing out.